0: I'm looking for what is the current school of thought. I'm also looking at has the school of thought on this particular issue evolved over time, because historical context is just invaluable to have.
1: Welcome to the Thriving on Overload podcast. I am Ross Dawson, a futurist and entrepreneur fascinated by how we can excel at dealing with the universe of information. and the author of the book, Thriving on Overload. Every week, we share insights from information masters on how they transform today's avalanche of information into insight, foresight, and better decisions. For more goodness on this topic, be sure to visit thrivingonoverload.com, where there are a wealth of resources to help you thrive, including all podcast episodes with transcripts, excerpts from my book, and if you are really intent on amplifying your information productivity, the Thriving on Overload Interactive Course, which helps you develop a personal information plan you can immediately put into practice. And be sure to sign up for our weekly Tips for Thriving newsletter if you want to optimize your information productivity. If you enjoy this episode, please do subscribe and give a rating or review on iTunes. It helps others interested in this topic to find these resources. Now, on with the show. On this episode, we learn from Cindy Otis, Cindy is an author, disinformation expert, and former CIA officer. Cindy is the author of books including True or False, a CIA analyst guide to spotting fake news, and a frequent media commentator in outlets such as the Washington Post, New York Times, BBC, NPR, and CNN. You can find more on her work at cindyotis.com, C-I-N-D-Y-O-T-I-S, and on Twitter, Medium, and Instagram at, at Cindy Otis underscore. In this episode, Cindy shares insights on the disinformation landscape, analyzing content, identifying trustworthy sources, information communities, and far more. Keep listening to learn from Cindy's great insights.
2: Cindy, it's awesome to have you on the show.
0: Thanks for having me.
2: So you are an expert in disinformation, and that's something that we have lots about these mm-hmm. days. So so let's start perhaps with what is disinformation and what's the difference from misinformation?
0: Right. So the key difference between the two terms is really, it comes down to intention. Misinformation, it's false information that people share not knowing that it's false. So they're not looking to deceive. They're not looking to sort of pull the wool over anyone's eyes. By contrast, disinformation is false information in which the creator or sharer knows that the information is false or misleading and is doing so deliberately. We often see it, you know, come up in in the context of politics, right? Political issues, whether a person is intentionally trying to mislead on a political topic, for example, but it actually spans sort of the range of topics.
2: Perhaps it would be worth just a a little update. So I think the term fake news started to be current in 2016 start to be used a lot. And we've had a lot of fake news and we've had a lot of disinformation since then. So in August 2022, where are we? Is the situation getting worse? What's the state of play?
0: That's a big question, actually. <laughs> I think that the information environment is increasingly complex. I think it's increasingly busy and hard to untangle what we're seeing, why we're seeing it, how we're seeing it, and who's behind it. And that is, for better or for worse, that is my job <laughs> to untangle that that sort of mess and try to make sense of what's happening. But I think for the sort of average information consumer, the average social media user, things are only getting more complicated and the line between what is intentionally, you know, spread to deceive and manipulate is is getting harder to determine whether it's intentional or it's not intentional. I think the other big thing is that, you know, technological advances are happening on an everyday basis that make it easier to get information to people and to obscure what it actually is and who's behind it. So it's getting easier to trick people because of technological advances. On the positive side, you know, I think disinformation is sort of the the hot new industry. And so a lot of folks have joined the research community that bring really interesting expertise and backgrounds to it, to this particular problem set. And I think we have certainly made gains in how we're approaching the problem as well, how we're looking at it and the tools that we're bringing to, to be able to do that. But as somebody with a national security background, myself, I think, what worries me the most is how advanced our adversaries are getting in creating and disseminating disinformation.
2: So, you're the author of True or False, the CIA's Analyst's Guide to Spotting Fake News. And before we dig into that, I'd actually like to raise a bit of a philosophical point around telling the difference between true and false. Is there absolute truth? Uh, or how can we unpick differences of opinion as to what, what is true?
0: Yeah, you know, it's a great question and um, certainly something I struggle with on a daily basis. Despite the title of my book, I'm actually less interested in sort of nitpicking over what is true and what is false, but more helping folks understand how do you make sense of the information you're seeing. How do you sort of unpack who or what is behind it and how it got into your feed? And then letting you determine whether, given what you have learned through those tools and tactics, do you think the message is true or false? I I tend to stick to the analysis of, of technology and threat actors and how information gets to people as opposed to trying to determine what is true or false, because it gets extremely complicated when you ask those questions.
2: Yeah, well, well, and your response actually gets to, I suppose, my frame, which is, you know, how do, how do we get value from information? Mm-hmm. So we've got lots of information mm-hmm. out there. Some of it is valuable. Some of it yeah. has negative value because it misleads us or wastes our time. So starting from that, but perhaps from that idea of spotting fake news, I mean, or even if we could even overlay my, my view of, well, does that have positive value or negative value? without obviously running through every aspect of your book, want to, want to get some insights. So how do, how do people start? All right, you're looking at the news, you're looking at a, maybe a news on some a mobile phone, as mm-hmm. many do, or even a supposedly reputable website. So how do you start to unpick between what is worth looking at and what is not worth looking at? The
0: folks listening to your show are... are- Probably pretty savvy information consumers. But first, I would say that we have to account for the fact that we're all humans at the end of the day, right? We are emotional creatures. We have emotional reactions to things that mean something to us. And so, even with all the sort of tips and tricks and technology that you can use to sift and comb through information and organize it and sort it and read it and consume it and all of that, we're still emotional beings at the end of the day. And so, as we're living in I think most people would agree, quite tumultuous times uh, across the world, we have to sort of check that, right? We have to understand that we're going to have emotional reactions to information as we see it. We're not machines, we weren't built to be robots, right? So with that framework in mind, I think part of it is recognizing again, recognizing that we're human, we're not able to stay on top of every issue, to follow every news event, to follow every country, every city down to the town and village. It's not possible, right? And and so we need to be selective about what we're going to spend our time and attention on. It's certainly been key to my professional performance um, and success is that I have really had to decide what it is that I am going to focus on, right? In my career, that's played out in different areas of expertise. When I used to work for, I spent 10 years at the CIA, I focused on a particular part of the world at any given time in in my career. And then I focused from there on a particular domain of expertise. So I was a military analyst for half of my career. So I worked security issues, threat issues, that kind of thing. And so part of that is because you can't really gain expertise in the world, right? you can gain expertise in a particular domain. And so knowing the difference between what is true expertise because you focused on it and what is global expertise. So I think narrowing down and sort of determining what is it that you're going to follow and read about and pay attention to and gain expertise in, and and being really deliberate about that. That will allow, I think, folks to narrow down the sheer amount of information that they would otherwise be seeing. I think, you know, second... um, it's really important to understand where the information that you're seeing is coming from. Um, social media platforms, you know for better or for worst, at least in the United States, the vast majority of Americans get their news and information from social media. It's the reality we're living in. Um, and social media platforms have done different things to get different pieces of content into our feeds regardless of whether we're actually following you know the creator of that content. And so it's important to understand what kind of content you're looking at. Are you looking at a video? Are you looking at an article? Are you looking at a meme, a GIF, Um, something like that? Um, And then dig into a little bit, who is it coming from? Is it an account you recognize? Is it an expert where you can actually verify their expertise? Does anyone else say that they're an expert besides the person (laughs) claiming to be the expert, right? What have they written? Where have they studied and that sort of thing? And that's a way of crafting uh, a list of sources of information that are on the relatively trustworthy side, right? Which I think is sort of the next important step. That was a lot I just threw at you.
2: <laughs> okay. So so just uh, just starting to unpick that a little bit. So you come across, you're, let's say you're on social media, you come across something which says, oh, that's interesting or startling. Or So first, I suppose, two major points, which I pulled out there. One is to go back and identify the source, are the, are the appropriate expertise to, I suppose, analyze the article. And the other is to build a set of trustworthy or relatively trustworthy so, sources. So those sort of, I suppose, first we can dig a little bit more into those, but those are the two main starting points to assess information when it comes in.
0: Yeah, and I and I think, you know, going back to what I said about sort of narrowing down and accepting that you're not going to be able to follow everything with a deep level of expertise, yeah.
2: So I suppose the danger is that the disinformation is more likely to come where you're not an expert, and we all have areas where we're not an expert. So if it's in your area of expertise, you probably can filter it pretty easily. Mm-hmm. If it isn't, then uh, that's where you more likely to get caught out unfortunately so i like the i like your phrasing i think it was uh, relatively trustworthy sources because <laughs> there might not be any partic- completely trustworthy sources so let's say you've got what you believe is a trustworthy source and something comes along which you think wow really so how, how do you respond to that
0: yeah i mean uh, he, one of one of the things that scares me the most is when i get um uh, comments from people who are like, you know, I don't believe anything unless you've, you know, posted it yourself or you've verified it. And I'm like, oh my God, I, you know, I am not on social media all day. I am not reason- reading all of the news all of the time. I'm not, I, I simply don't have the time. I'm one person, right? I think that's quite an unhealthy way of, or, or dangerous way really of of looking at what a source list can do for you you're still dealing with humans who make mistakes at the end of the day you're dealing with news outlets that you know they have schedules they're dealing with breaking news that changes they're dealing with sources that they have to then verify themselves there are all sorts of ways that they can get it wrong as well and so i think that's important to recognize when you're sort of building that that list of somewhat trustworthy sources in general you know i advise folks all the time that what you should be looking for in, is this a source that I can trust is, if it's a news outlet, is it a standards-based news outlet, right? So do they have editors? Do they have fact checkers? Do they have a review process? Do they have, you know, style guides even that sort of influence how they end up talking about things like the trustworthiness of a source? All of that's really important to, for, for journalists to ensure that the quality of the reporting is the highest that it can be. But again, these are imperfect organizations run by imperfect people. So there are different ways that you should be looking at media outlets, right? Media outlets who are closer, physically closer to the news that they're reporting. For example, if there's an attack in a certain part of the country. Reporters who are on the ground are potentially going to have more accurate and up-to-date information than reporters who are getting it sort of second and third hand based in another part of the country, right? So there are things that you want to look at like that. I, I think it's important to look at individual sources of information that way as well. As I said, with great horror, I see those posts that say, you know, I only trust something um, if you, Cindy Otis, have posted about it or verified it. And the reality is, you know, I'm not an expert on everything. I'm not an expert on the world. I'm a person who has, you know, personal opinions. And I try to couch things that I share online with this is my opinion versus like, no, this is actually my area of expertise, right? And news outlets do the same as well. Reputable news outlets have a separate category for editorials, opinions, than they do, you know, current coverage. And that distinction is hugely, hugely important. With an individual source, you can dig into their background. You can look into, you know, where did they study? Where did they work? You can look at how long, you know, a person worked at a location. I think, For me, I just came up on my five-year anniversary of of leaving the intelligence community. And so when you come to me for information about, you know, our views on current national security events, my information is dated, right? I've been out for five years. Um, So I think it's important to really actually dig into that sort of deep of a level when you're building that list of potentially trusted sources of information.
2: And and I suppose another aspect is, you don't necessarily either need to completely believe or disbelieve something. Mm-hmm. You can take it on and say, well, all right, I'll possibly for later for later verification.
0: Right. Yeah. No, I think, you know, I sort of always think of think of it as um, my views on the range of issues are kind of like a stovetop with multiple pots and, and multiple um, sort of mixtures brewing. I'm constantly adding new information that I've learned, things that I've read, observations that I've made into each of these pots and they're they're cooking over time, right? My opinion, my views, my analysis evolves as I gain more information. I think when we look at our opinions and our views as one time only, hard and fast, unchangeable, that's where we run into a lot of issues in terms of biased thinking uh, and that sort of thing. I think it's important to, to really treat your analysis as, as that pot that you're sort of constantly adding information and ideas to.
1: Fantastic. You are listening to the Thriving on Overload podcast. If you truly want to increase your information productivity, then check out the Thriving on Overload interactive course. It is designed to significantly enhance your information practices and habits, guiding you through creating your own personal information plan so you can excel in a world of overload. Go to thrivingonoverload.com course to find out more. Now back to the show.
2: So I'd like to start to dig in how you personally uh, thrive on overload. And obviously you have uh, in your previous roles and no doubt continue to. What are some of the, well, perhaps coming specifically on the developing expertise? And that was part of your role. Your your role was to be an expert in particular domains. So what were your practices in order to um, develop your expertise in an area and if as you said you possibly switch from different geographies or areas of expertise so when you're coming to a new area of expertise what was your process what was the information you did how did you build the sets of understanding which enabled you to uh, know more than than uh, others
0: so when i'm sort of delving into a new area that maybe isn't an area of expertise or a strong suit for me yet but even as an expert I'm constantly reading as much as I possibly can get my hands on. and i'm and I'm reading from post news reporting. I'm reading from academia, from experts um, in research communities. I'm looking at government publications. I'm looking at foreign publications. I'm looking at individual experts who are considered well respected in their in their fields. And I'm just trying to gather as much information as possible because I think it's really important to balance the various sources that you're looking at. So tapping into the academic communities, you're going to learn quite a different view on a topic than you're going to learn from practitioners, for example. We have the benefit of just having so much information and thought really on any topic out there. And so, you know, of course it can feel overwhelming, but by just trying to get your hands on it as much as possible, and again, looking at the backgrounds of the people who are in the organizations that are putting that content out there. So it's not just Googling this particular topic and reading everything that comes up in the first 50 pages, but looking at what are, you know, well-respected organizations, academic institutions, experts in the field, what are they putting out there? And then from there, I tend to, as I'm reading, I'm, I'm taking notes, Right. I'm uh, jotting down what are the commonalities that I'm seeing in, you know, what people are saying about this topic. What are the differences and and who are those differences between, right, organizations or individuals, that sort of thing. Um, I'm looking for, you know, what is the current school of thought. I'm also looking at how is the school of thought on this particular issue evolved over time because historical context on any issue is, is just invaluable to have. How has thinking on this changed? What has influenced the change in thinking? Are there differences between different communities on this particular topic and that sort of thing? So it's a process. It's long, <laughs> but that's, that's genu- generally how I start.
2: I love that. that that's, really, that's really insightful, actually. So just to, to state that back a little bit. Mm-hmm. So finding, obviously reading a lot, but the different categories of experts or sources of information... So ones which are reputable and where you can sort of find that they are sources, but ones which would have different perspectives. So I think that the idea of the commonalities and the differences is is, is really critical because if you if all the experts agree, then that's look, looking pretty good. But also, you know, what specifically are the differences? So that that's mm-hmm. I think really valuable. And then you are, and I love that idea about how these ideas have evolved. You know, what is a school of thought? And if you can identify a school of thought, and maybe say you can identify several schools of thought, that's unpicking, I suppose, the differences, but also establishing, I suppose, frames on it. And then I think that's really valuable is seeing how these uh, school of thought has evolved and why it's evolved. You know, what, how has that thinking changed? That's great. So do you then crystallize that yourself into some kind of a framework or thesis or structure, or is this all in your head?
0: It's just sort of all in my head. I, You know, it's sort of obvious when you when you say it out loud that that would be, you know, uh, an organized approach that might work. But I'm continuously surprised by, I get approached by, you know, tech startups, or I get approached by, you know, a policymaker or somebody like, you know, in a position where they're trying to generate ideas, right? And they've not actually done the first few steps of going back and seeing what has been tried before. They see a problem. They think the problem started the day they recognized it and they try to solve for it, right? It's so important to know, you know, whether you're talking about foreign policy or or you're talking about a a technological innovation or disinformation. Where have we been before? Where is the current community going? And are there differences in those communities?
2: Yeah, fabulous. So actually you've raised a question in my mind. Of the current crop of disinformation startups, are there any which you think are particularly interesting?
0: Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I tend to gravitate towards any that approach the problem set from trying to analyze and identify the tactics, techniques, and procedures of threat actors. I'm less interested in technological solutions to that are very nascent at this point and very much dependent on. Uh, improving the natural language processing capabilities that that focus on trying to determine whether a narrative that's online is true or false for the reasons we we sort of talked about, it just is a very incredibly difficult thing to do for humans and and AI. So I'm I'm much more interested in in organizations that focus more on the the threat actor.
2: Interesting. So identifying who the threat actors are and some of the I suppose. Pathways by which they might be disseminating information,
0: yeah exactly. I think you know those are the ones where it's it's much more clear cut that they're attempt they're attempting to deceive, and so you don't sort of really have to answer that question of why are they doing this they're they're attempting to deceive, right? You get to work in what I think is a much more fun space <laughs> in looking at well how did they get that information in front of social media users and who are they targeting specifically and how do they try to cover their tracks that sort of thing
2: fantastic so so in terms of just any daily practices i mean how you uh consume the news and uh information and make sense of what's going on so any anything Mm -hmm. we can learn from what you are doing yourself
0: yeah. Oh, well, I don't know if you can learn anything from it, but here we go. <laughs> I, um, I'm extremely intentional about who I follow on social media across all of the platforms. If I respect somebody, but I maybe don't think they're providing as much value as I want to see in my feed, I might follow them, but mute them. I won't name names. <laughs> um, I read from certain publications, but I do read widely across the the spectrum um, when it comes to, to political ideology. I think it's important to know what different communities are saying. Um, so I do read widely, but I but I have a fairly short-ish list um, of publications that I read from. Otherwise, I think I would spend my entire life doing nothing but reading. I use some tools from some free in some cases um, open source tools that help you sort. Um, and help you search and discover. Tools like um, BuzzSumo is a favorite of mine. It's a way of seeing, you know, headlines and topics and seeing uh, engagement on those as well, uh, which is really important in my work. um, I'm sort of constantly looking at, you know, when trying to understand impact of a particular disinformation campaign, looking at, you know, how many eyeballs did this actually reach? How many social media feeds did this actually show up in? that can be really helpful in understanding that. But it also is helpful just for, for knowing what the headlines are right across a wide variety of sources.
2: What other, what other software tools do you use?
0: So BuzzSumo is, is one of my favorites. Um, I do a lot of um, network analysis. So I'm looking at what accounts are linked to each other. I do network mapping. So in disinformation analysis, when you're sort of hunting down who's doing what, who saw it, who's behind it, how did it get there? I mean, the number of tabs that I have open at any given time is just ridiculous. And so I have to meticulously map what points I'm going to. Am I checking a Facebook page? Was there anything in the Facebook page? Am I checking a, you know, a news site and gathering data from all of those sources? And so it can quickly become completely unwieldy. And you don't necessarily know what you have found until you've found it. You just keep sort of digging further down into the rabbit hole. And so it's really important for me in my work to be documenting every step in an investigation so that I can retrace my steps later if I need to, um, or understand even where I need to go back to, right? When I determine that maybe I've gone off in the wrong direction and I need to get back to where I saw the initial information, right? So I do a lot of documentation. And that can look like anything from literally a, a word document in an Excel spreadsheet, where I'm, you know, dropping bits that I've gathered, or it can look, you know, a little more um, sophisticated, like using a tool like like Hunchly. Yeah, those are the basics. <laughs> All
2: right, fantastic. That's uh, that's great. There's, um, I think there's a, there is a, there is definitely <laughs> plenty to learn from that. So in terms of just rounding out, as you as a analyst. As an expert, as a disinformation specialist. But, but in terms of just helping all of us, what, what's your advice in a world of overload on how it is we can thrive? What, what are a few points or recommendations you can make to our audience?
0: People really underestimate the emotional toll that overload can give us. I know I have at different points in my career not realized that I was overloaded and burned out until I was well into all of it and it makes us really less able to actually handle the information we're looking at it makes it more difficult to do critical thinking it makes us in my career field it made me less able to do my job because i was so overloaded and so it's important to to recognize the emotional toll that different kinds of content and uh, an overload in content can wreak on our on our brains and then implement things to help us overcome that so i'm a huge proponent and people are always surprised when I say this uh, but I'm a huge proponent of taking breaks of doing normal human things like putting your phone down and going for a walk it's incredibly important um, as a former you know CIA military analyst I dealt with a lot of disturbing content about um, conflicts that were happening in in other countries and um, you don't think that you know sitting in your computer in this safe town in the United States is, is that it's going to have such an impact on you, but it does because again, you're human, you have emotions, you're a person you feel, right? And so it's important to be able to take those breaks, to have those moments of reset, to have those moments of stepping away from it all, getting fresh air, getting some vitamin D, talking to some friends. Um, I think having community is really important as well um, in your particular area, You know your your area of expertise where you're working, or just as an average information consumer, it's important to have other people that you can talk to I think people are probably surprised to know that if you actually visited CIA headquarters, you would see a lot of people walking together with a partner or friend colleague with the coffee in their hand around the building. They're taking breaks they're they're discussing complex ideas with a partner they're unloading you know they're getting some mm-hmm. you know some uh time to discuss how they're feeling with somebody who completely understands them right. Uh, at least professionally those moments are hugely hugely important and will make us better able to handle the information we're consuming on a daily basis and think about it in smart ways
2: fantastic that's been really insightful i mean you, you are truly an expert uh, <laughs> uh, on the field and uh, thank you so much for sharing your insights with our audience cindy
0: thanks ross
1: thank you for listening to the show If you want more resources to help you thrive in a world of exponential information, go to thrivingonoverload.com, where you can find all podcast episodes, transcripts, show notes, excerpts from my book, Thriving on Overload, the Thriving on Overload interactive course, and a trove of other useful content and resources, including a weekly Tips for Thriving newsletter to keep across it all. If you like this episode, please do help us be found by giving us a rating or review, and subscribe if you'd like to hear more. This is Ross Dawson. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day.